You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Great to, great to be here in the presence of God. And uh, if you're new among us, uh, well, great and uh, welcome. Uh, as Esther said at the start, we've been afforded an incredible break. We've been away for two months. So uh, Esther and myself, we are the pastors here. And uh, it's so fantastic to be back. And uh, it looks to me like the church has grown. So I, I don't know what's happened over the summer, but uh, we've heard that it's been amazing over the summer. And uh, we're so thrilled and so grateful. We're grateful to the elders directors for giving us a two-month sabbatical and hugely indebted to the great team here that have shouldered responsibility. And as I am hearing all over the place, have stepped up and done an exceptional job. And, and, and our, I guess our big question of this week with them and together is to say, that's amazing. How, how do we stay stepped up? Because the answer isn't we come back and everyone who stepped up steps down, but we all keep stepping up into everything that God has got. But uh, if you're new and you haven't seen us before, well, we feel like the new kids today. So welcome to you. Welcome to us. Great to be here. And uh, I want to say a huge thank you to those who helped with the wedding yesterday for Tom uh, and Natasha. It takes a team to organize those days. You know, if you weren't here, you'd be amazed by the decor and the transformation. And week after week, we turn these things around and just make it happen. But nothing just happens. Some people come in and work hard and thank you. You know who you are if you did that. Talking of weddings, isn't it great to have Mr. and Mrs. Birch back on the, the second row from their honeymoon? It's kind of the honeymoon row. It's kind of turning into here with the, the newlyweds. And obviously Ryan and Sarah have been married for a while. Rebecca's about to get married. Married and it's kind of the babies and marriage and about to get married row. So if you're in faith to get married, the second row is it clearly there's an anointing in that place. Uh, well, just uh, just want to take a, a few moments to say thank you uh, those who have uh, prayed for us over the summer. We've had the most incredible summer. We've had a phenomenal break. We've been able to rest. And uh, invest in family. For Esther and myself, we've both been able to take a week at the, uh, the front end of our sabbatical to go away on retreat and seek God and just find some stillness, which was incredibly precious for us both. Our children have been on their summer holidays, as many of yours have. And uh, we've been able to invest in family, which has been so precious. We've even been able to catch up with some things around the home that uh, can take a back seat in the busyness of ministry. Um, but you know, the icing on the cake was that uh, we've ended up having a miracle holiday. And uh, the, the situation was, and I, I, there's no exaggeration in any of this, um, but as many of you did last autumn when we had our first annual vision offering, and uh, we, we did what we asked you to do, and we came before the Lord and we said, God, what do you want us to do in this special offering above tithes and normal offerings? And and we felt the Lord put a, a sum into our hearts that in all honesty was beyond us. Uh, we had a little bit of money put aside that, that went in. We had to pare back our budget. And then there was a faith component where we say, well, God, we're, with your help, we're going to do this. But we don't know how. And by the grace of God, we're on track by the 16th of October, which will be 12 months, to finish. We're, we're most of the way through. 
But what it meant was that we had this amazing break coming up in the summer, but we, we literally had no budget for our summer. And so we'd said to the kids, we might not have a holiday this year. We, we, we've never been a family that have invested in holidays and people make their decisions, invest in different things. We've normally go camping to Devon. That's kind of normally what we do is kind of keep things cheap. But we said to the kids, I don't know if we're going to get away 2017, but, but we know that God is good. And we'll just have to see what happens. And then something strange happened uh, in March. I, I was bringing this man on the front row, Mr. Beswick, uh, in for, for early church rehearsal on a Sunday morning. And very out of character, he, he said to me, Martin, if money was no object, what would you want to do? I said to Mark, don't be stupid. And, uh, and he said, no, no, if, if money was no object, what would you want to do? I said, Mark, I never think like that. That's unhelpful. Like, what, you know, why would you, do? and he said, no, I, and he looked at me, and I, I've come to know he's a prophetic person, and there was a persistence, there was something in the question, and I stopped for a moment, well, I said I stopped, we carried on driving, but I, I thought for a moment, and the words that came out of my mouth were, I'd love to take my family on a great summer holiday this year, if money was no object. Anyway, that was that. You know, I believe him for the floodgates of heaven to open over Mark's life. But at that particular moment, I knew he was in no position to pull a checkbook out and go, okay, let me make that happen for you. So that, that was it. That was our conversation. But I've been around the Lord long enough to know that over the next few days, I just, I couldn't shake it off. And I had a suspicion that the Lord was up to something. Within a couple of weeks, we got a check through the post from some people we haven't seen for over a year. They live in a different part of the country. And there was a check for 500 pounds. And it said, we've been praying and we feel we need to send you this for your summer holiday. So we're like, okay, we game on. So I asked the Lord for a certain amount. And uh, we said, look, we're going to carry on with our giving plan. We're going to do what we were doing. But if anything unusual comes in for unexpectedly, and, and let me say this does not happen all the time in our world. This is not how we normally roll. We will set it aside for a summer holiday because we just sense the Lord might be trying to do something. Uh, and then the heavens opened. And within seven weeks, we had, we've been given unsolicited just over 2,000 pounds. So I'm then saying to Esther, we need to book something. So we're looking at France and normally she's much more proactive than I am on these things. And, and she had no energy. I was like, what's wrong with you? She said, ah, I've just got this feeling this isn't the end of the story. She said, I think someone's going to offer us something. So I said, have you, has God spoken to you? She said, I, I don't know if I'd even articulate it like that, but I, I've just got this sense. So I said, well, we don't even know anyone who could offer us anything. It's like, I, I, I don't know. And, but we said, well, hang on, we'll wait. About a week or so later, she was going to book European travel insurance for our kids and she had this sense in her spirit of the Lord say, it's not Europe. Later that day, I, um, I had a meeting with someone who said, what are you doing this summer? And I said, well, I don't know. We've got sabbatical. We've got two months off. He said, are you going away? I said, well, we will go. I said, it's been amazing. We've had an incredible few weeks and we don't know where we're going. He said, well, I've got a house in Florida. And it's got four bedrooms, it's got a pool, it backs onto some water. He said, we let it out, but I think it's free, for, for available for two weeks in August. And if you want it, you can just have it. You'd it'd be a gift. So, so, we, so, we said, so we said, well, thank you. Thank you. That's amazing. Um, and without being rude or ungrateful, I don't know if we can get there. 
And I, so I, I Googled flights. I'm not an experienced flight booker. Some of you fly all the time. I Googled flights. The best I could find was nearly 800 pounds each. There's five of us in our family. So I'm going, this is crazy. It's like, Lord, is this you or is this just silly? So, so we're looking at this. So we thought, well, we'll share the idea with the kids because if they go, oh, I don't want to go to Florida, or, you know, it's like, well, let's not pursue it. And, we, and they were like, yes, Florida, Florida. So I said, look, we're not going yet. You need to pray. So we're kind of working out, drawing lots, who's going to go, who's going to stay at home. So, um, so we, and then we, we went for lunch about a week later and, uh, you know, we, we said, look, what are we going to do? And we said, it feels like the Lord's all over this situation, that he is, he's heard the confession of my heart and he's sorting us out a holiday and we need to have faith to step into this. So... So we said, okay, if, if we can get flights, I, I, was, I, was, I said, if we can get flights for two and a half thousand pounds, if we've got nothing else, we just, we need to go by faith. Within the hour of us agreeing that and praying, my phone rang and it was this guy whose house is, he says, I'm in Florida. I've got a bit of time on my hands. I'm looking up flights for you. I've found some really unusual flights. They're 400 pounds each. He said, but, but I literally, they are flying off the page. I need to book them now. So I said, well, you better do it then. So, so, he, so he said, there's only one thing is you're going to have to have an overnight in Orlando. We're like, oh, whatever. So, so, and then I, so we booked these flights and then we're kind of, you know, a few weeks earlier, we were camping in the back garden and now we're on a plane to Florida. So I was over in Singapore, some of you know, in, uh, in June. I'm telling this story to Pastor Dom. He said, what are you doing in the summer? I said, well, it's been amazing. And I said, there's just, and then this guy said, you know, Orlando. And he said, oh, I, I've got contacts with the Hilton Hotel in Orlando. L like for your overnight. He calls his assistant. Get them on the line. Sort this out for, for Martin and Esther and the kids. So our overnight in Orlando, we traded up. We, we went to the Hilton Hotel. Um, I, I need you to know as well, like, do you, if you're new here, we don't go after this stuff. We go after Jesus. But Jesus said, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? And so, so we went and it was the amazing adventure. I mean, our kids have never even been on a plane. So it's been, this has been the adventure of our summer and uh, we've gone. It's been amazing. We've seen alligators in the wild and dolphins and all sorts. And, and then the icing on the cake uh, is we, um, we got connected through Pastor Dom to a couple of American pastors who felt the Lord speak to them and they bought us tickets to go to Disney. So this is a picture of us in, uh, in going uh, at Disney. And I've got to say, like, the, n never mind Expedia, the Lord is the best holiday planner. Like, uh, uh, like I just, so, so, and I hope you can sit there and not go, hmm, it's all right for you. Um, <laughs> if he can do it for us. You know, listen, we serve a gracious God. We serve a gracious God and all... All we did was set out on a journey of trying to trust God and talk about more than, you know, measurably more than we could ask or imagine. I um, also want to say it's wonderful to have my friend and brother, uh, this is Gift's father, uh, Pastor Gabriel, who's a man of God from Nigeria. I don't, don't just say that. Uh, like, and I know his credentials, uh, but sometimes you meet someone, they just carry a spiritual stature, 
you know they're a man of God, and so I honour you. It's great to have you here today. It's a lovely surprise for us, your visiting family. Uh, great. Well, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 8. I'd like to speak today, uh, not so much on the back of that testimony, although you know, there are some joins actually, but I want to speak today about what I'm going to call the environment of faith. The environment of faith. I wonder if we can say that together. The environment of faith. You see, when I became a Christian, I, I, I first I heard stories of God interrupting people's world. I heard stories that like maybe like the one I've just told you. Um, my heart really responded, saying, "I want to live like that. I want to. I want God to be at work in my life. I, I, how do I step into that?" You know, there's some people seem to be flowing at a certain level, experiencing a certain dimension with God. And, and I want my life and, and my family to have testimonies like that. And, uh, and what I've had to come to learn is you've got to cultivate around your life an environment of faith. There's an environment of faith that can be cultivated. You see, God is God and He can do whatever He wants. He can break in uninvited. Occasionally he does that. The widow of Nain, I think it's Luke 7, she's traveling. It's a desperate situation. She's a widow and her only son is being carried on a, on a briar like an open casket and they are going to bury the boy. And Jesus and his disciples are coming in the other direction. And it says, when he saw it, his heart went out to her and he interrupted the procession. The procession of life met the procession of death and something happened. He interrupted that situation uninvited. But if you read the scriptures, if you look at church history, if you talk to people, you'll find those are the rare occasions where God will just break in. Mostly, he will come and presence himself and move where there is an environment of faith, where he is welcomed, where there is a response in the human heart. You know, everything needs an environment. Plants need an environment to thrive. Fish need an environment to thrive. As human beings, we live in an environment and an atmosphere. And I find it incredible to think that if the earth was 1% nearer to the sun than it is, we would all fry and there would not be human life on planet earth. If it was 1% further away, we would freeze. Isn't that an incredible thing? But there is an environment and God has created an environment for everything to live. But I also have come to believe God responds to environment. You can walk into a room and there can be an environment. You can go into a, a restaurant and think, oh, I, I, it feels nice in here. You know, mostly when people come to CLM for the first time, if they like it, sometimes they'll say, oh, we like the worship or the preach was good or I met someone friendly uh, or my kids enjoyed it. But nearly always they'll say, I felt at home. What's that about? It, it's probably a bit of everything, but the environment felt right. And I believe we can cultivate an environment around our world and our lives, both as a church corporately and as individuals, where God is more dis, is disposed to presence himself and to act. This is what it says in Luke chapter 8. Uh, the story of Jesus raising Jairus' daughter and healing the woman with the issue of blood. If, if you've been around the scriptures anytime, you'll know this story well. If you're new, it's in the New Testament 
the Gospels, the first four books of the Bible, they are biographical accounts of Jesus. And this is one of the accounts of Jesus' life. And it says this, Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, and I'd like us to notice this right here, a crowd welcomed him for they were expecting him. There's a welcome and there is expectation when Jesus returns to the area of Capernaum. He comes into a place where he is received. Then a man named Jairus, the synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know the power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. And we give thanks to God, don't we? I'd like us to notice three things as we consider how we might cultivate an environment of faith around our own lives. You know, if you want to be a person or want to live in a family or a home where God is at work, where miracles are possible, where miracles are welcome, you will need to grow in cultivating an environment of faith. And also for us as a church, just briefly to say, while I went on a retreat over the summer, I look back over five years of us being in Coventry and being here at CLM. And occasionally when we tell stories of what God has done for us, people say, oh, you should write it down because one day you're going to have to write a book. And I didn't begin writing a book, but I just jotted down some of the things where, you know, over and above the everyday... And we need the everyday, the faithfulness, the consistency of life, the, the servant-heartedness of the people, the faithfulness of us as a community. I very quickly wrote down 15 headings of times where God had broken in, where God has helped us, where looking back over the last five years, you know, God has moved, where we could say that was only God. We were up against the wall and we prayed and fasted and, and God came through for us. And I thought, I thought, Lord, I... I so want that to be the culture of the house. May we never get to a place where, where we've grown to a certain level or stature that, that we don't need God in the way that we thought we did. Where we, we're not feeling that sense of urgency that we once felt. That we always retain that urgency of God without you. We're nothing. 
We're coming after you. We need you. And so as we consider the environment of faith, I'd like to notice three things. Firstly, this, there's a posture. I wonder, can we say that word together? There's a posture. Uh, by posture, I mean a position towards God, an attitude, an angle, a disposition, a foundational premise. And I'm not even talking about the individuals here. It says, when he returned to Capernaum, they welcomed him because they were expecting him. And I've come to realize that, that I need to have a welcome and an expectation in my heart to the things of God if I'm going to see God move in my life. I have to cultivate an environment of faith which begins with a welcome and an expectation. You know, the reality is set against the previous story. Jesus is in the Gerizines and there's a man who'd been demonized severely, a demoniac who'd been chained up and he's living in tombs and Jesus encounters him. And some of you know the story. Uh, he casts the demons out of the man and the Bible says, and he was found clothed and in his right mind. This is my Jesus. But on the journey, the demons had begged to be sent into a, a large herd of pigs. And so Jesus gave them permission. And it says, when they came out of the man, they went into the herd of pigs. And the pigs ran down the hillside and drowned in the lake. And then the people of the Gerizines came to Jesus, says they were afraid. And they urged Jesus to leave. And guess what? There were no more miracles in the Gerizines. In the next story uh, after this, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples and he says, it says that he sends them out. He gave them authority and power to drive out demons, cure diseases. He sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. And amongst his instructions, he said this, if people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet. It says when Jesus went to Nazareth that they took offense at him saying, is this not the carpenter's son? And it said he did not do many miracles there. Now, I hope you hear me right. God is God and can do what he wants to do. But I suggest to you that God responds to the environment of faith in the human heart. That where there's a welcome in my life, where I, I, my heart says, God, you can access all areas in me. You are welcome here. I want you to be at work in my life. And I have an expectation that you can move because you are God. That is an environment which is conducive for God to move. It's a posture. It's a positioning of my heart. You know, sometimes I meet people and they say, oh, but God never comes through for me. Guess what? I meet some other people who say, God is so good to me. And guess what? Right. The posture. Which comes first? First, is it that God blesses someone and they have faith that he's going to bless them? I think we can make a decision. We can turn our heart. You know, when I first got saved, I made a decision to turn my heart, a posture of my heart, to welcome Jesus access all areas of my life. You've heard it said before, but if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And I know some people, they keep God at arm's length because they don't want him disrupting a certain area of their life. Don't, don't want to compromise, don't want to stop compromising in an area of relationships or something. And guess what? Not many miracles are done in that place. That's the reality. That, that's, that's the pastoral observation that I would be happy to make time after time. But the person who says, I surrender my heart to Jesus, miracles tend to happen in those sorts of places. They welcomed him with an expectation. 
And now this is why we've got three days of prayer and fasting this, this week, in case you missed it, that's this Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You know, like you, many of you got children going back to school. It's busy. It's the same for us. We've had two months out. We hit the ground running this week. Why would we spend three days praying and fasting this week? I'll tell you, because without Jesus, there is no CLM. So we're going to position ourselves to say, you are welcome here. Over and above the administration and the emails and the work and the planning, we are going to seek your face because you are welcome here. And we have an expectation that you are the God who can move and will move and desires to move. There was a posture. I'd like us also to uh, just to, to consider this encounter weekend. They carry this expectation. And I hope you hear me right, not a sense of entitlement, not a sense of presumption, no sense of God, you owe me anything, but yet an expectation that God would move. Let us be a people that carry an expectation that our God is a God who is alive and active and willing to answer our prayers, not, not other people's prayers, but our prayers. Now we hit a problem, is prayer our first thought or our last resort? And and may we be those people that we're ready with an expectation. So this encounter, this weekend we're calling an encounter, we're just going to position ourselves. I don't know what's going to happen, but I am expecting we're going to see miracles. I am expecting that people's lives are going to be transformed. We just make space for God. And you know, the two evenings, Saturday and Sunday, there'll be extended times of worship and we'll make room for the prophetic and for, for ministry. But the Saturday morning, because there won't be structured teaching on those evenings, but the Saturday morning, there'll be two really significant sessions of teaching to lay a foundation of hosting the presence of God in your life, of how you create that posture in your life for God. And I encourage you to book in and invest in that time. And it will help you if you come in the evenings to be ready for all God has in store. But secondly, I'd like us to notice this. There's a proactivity. In the environment of faith, there's a posture, but there's also, there's a proactivity. We need an expectant posture, but we also need to be willing to make a move, to lay hold of something. You know, Jairus, he, he had to make a move. He, he had to go and approach. He went up to Jesus, the Bible said, and he pleaded with him to come to his house because his daughter of 12 years old was dying. He had to push through. He had to break through and he had to go and present himself. He had to be proactive. We've said it before. Faith is substance. Faith acts. Let's not wait for God to move. We've got to move for God to move. But when we make a move, that seems to be when God moves. There's also uh, the other main character beside Jesus in the story. There's a woman. She's had an issue of blood. The Bible says in Mark's account of this story that she had spent all the money she had on doctors, but instead of getting better, she'd got worse. But it says in Mark's account, she thought to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, then I will be healed. And she made a decision and she broke through. You know, sometimes we have to move from just a posture to a possession, to a proactivity. You know, for us, and I share the story of our holiday to give glory to God, but there's a moment where we sat and we said, we believe God is in this. And even if we have no money to do anything when we get off the plane, we've got to lay hold of this. We've got to have faith not only to give, but to receive and to step into a miracle. 
There comes a moment to say, Lord, I'm going after you on this one. A proactivity. Some of you might know the, the Lapworth family. They, they were in our earlier service. They joined us about a year ago. These guys have been missionaries serving the Lord overseas. And uh, they, they, they serve for an organization called WEC, a missions organization. And uh, they're currently back in the UK. And uh, they are serving as, as part of the leadership team of WEC. Uh, but having had like seven or eight years, I think it is, overseas serving the Lord. Now, even though they're second in command, as it were, for WEC UK, they don't draw a salary. The way WEC works is you, you live by faith and you raise some of your own funding. And this is who they are. They're, they're servants of the Lord. If, if you want to know people who know God, love God, serve God, connect with these guys. They've got two beautiful daughters, uh, Emma and Lucy. But they've also got a son called Simeon. Simeon's 16. The, the girls are at school in Coventry. But about a year before they came back to the UK last summer, uh, Simeon had visited a private school in Bath. It's a school that was set up by missionaries back in the day. And it's an outstanding private school. The fees are in the region of £10,000 per term. And he visited this school and he liked the school. And he said to his parents, when we come back to the UK, I'd like to go to that school. Hello. You do the math. You know, the reality is, you know, if you're, by the time you've taxed and tithed, you, you've probably got a gross 50,000 pounds to send one child to a school like that. And Simeon says, I, I'd like to go to that school. And his parents said, well, this has got to be a faith journey for you. If God wants you to go to that school, well, God's God. So Simeon said, I'm going to apply. He's 15 at the time. So he, he applies for this school. He has to sit an exam and he gets awarded a scholarship which means that he's not only in, he's got some financial help. So they also apply for a bursary and he gets awarded a bursary. That They have got a massive amount of money has been awarded, but the reality is they've still got a massive amount of money short. So they have to write back to the school and say, you know, thank you uh, for your very generous offer. Um, unfortunately, we're unable to take the place. The school writes back and said, we found some more money because we really like Simeon and, uh, and, and, and they closed the gap even further. But these are guys, they're living by faith. They're praying every week that there's bread on the table. So they have to write back and go, I'm really sorry. I know it's a very, very, now very generous offer, but unfortunately we can't accept. And then someone hears about the story and says, we'd like to close the gap. And Simeon goes to the school and I found out yesterday he's been made head boy of that school. And he's a CLM boy. And so Simeon, who, who is the son of missionary parents who are living by faith, is going to one of the top schools in the country, fully paid by the Lord. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Right? So, so but let me say this. Simeon had to push past the impossibility of the situation. The Jairus had to push past some stuff. You know, if you go to Mark chapter 3, you'll find the story of the man with the shriveled, the withered hand. And there's a Sabbath, it's a Sabbath day. And there's a man there and his hand is all screwed up and Jesus comes in. And there's this whole interaction with the Pharisees and Jesus opens the man's hand and heals him on the Sabbath. This is in Capernaum. Jairus is the synagogue ruler. He's the leader. It's Jairus' synagogue. And it says at the end of Mark 3 that the Pharisees, 
Pharisees went out and they plotted how to kill Jesus. Jairus has seen Jesus in his own synagogue do a miracle. He's the leader. He's over the administration and the services and the finance of the synagogue. He works closely with the Pharisees. And he knows if he goes after Jesus for his daughter, he might lose his job. He'll certainly be criticized. There'll be opposition. He, he might have the threat of violence on his head. Who, and he has to push past something. Now we understand with his daughter dying, he pushes past that stuff because it doesn't matter enough. The woman has to push past her own sense of shame. Maybe her own sense of disappointment. You know, after 12 years when you've spent all your money, it's not easy. You've got to push past that. You know, even Jesus, when he goes to Jairus' house, he has to push past the negativity. He has to push past the confession that the girl is dead. He has to push past the mourners. The woman physically had to push past the crowd. And I want to suggest to you to create an environment of faith, you're going to have to push past some stuff. You have to push past the impossibility of this situation. There are some of us in the room and we, we know right now we're up against a situation that, that needs to change and we've been looking at it purely with natural thinking. Now, I don't criticize us for doing the maths and adding up the numbers and seeing if it will work or, or hearing a diagnosis or a prognosis from a doctor. But here's the question. How big is your God? How big? How big is God? Now, thank God for a young man whose God was big enough that the impossibility of a financial situation to go to that school, he knew his God was big enough. And sometimes we've got to push past some things, create an environment of faith, a proactivity that says, God, you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. Nothing is too difficult for you. And, and I urge us to be a people that would be willing to push past the things that get in the way, the, the negative speaking, the, the issues, the situations. You know, and, and there's a moment in the story, isn't there, where it, it looks as though, certainly as I read it, it looks as though Jairus has been robbed of his miracle because the woman got there first. You ever read it like that? It's like he's, he's on the way to Jairus' house to heal the girl and the woman breaks in and power goes out from him and then someone arrives and says, don't bother the teacher anymore. There's that sense of, she got it. But Jesus, the miracle worker, says, do not be afraid. Only believe. He says, you've just seen a miracle. Well, the miracle worker is on his way. And I want to say just when we hear of stories of other people, let it always encourage our faith. Let us be those proactive people that says, this doesn't demonstrate to me that God loves them more than me. It demonstrates to me that God is able and if he can do it for them, he can do it in my house. You know, if there's any sense of you of going, I'll give you jolly Florida, you know, we're up against this. It's all right for you. Take the encouragement of this. If God can bless us, God can bless you. You could say, never mind the jolly Lapworths. You know, we're, we're struggling with this situation. I'll give you private school. You know, we've got this situation in our house. Let me tell you this. If he can do that for Simeon, age 15, he's a miracle working God. And he may be on his way to your house.
It may just be that he's done something for somebody, but right now he's on his way to your house. But we have to carry and cultivate an environment of faith. I wonder if the band would come and join me. The final thing I'd like us to notice from this passage is there is what I call a, there's a protectiveness. There's a posture in Capernaum. There's a proactivity of the people but there's a protectiveness that we see in Jesus when he gets to the house of Jairus. It says in verse 51, when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. He had to move past all the wailing, all the mourning. Those who said she's dead, those, it says they laughed at him when he said she's only asleep. And he pushed past that. And do you know what? He closed the door on the voices that were not needed. And I hope you hear me today, my friend, because some of us, we are in the middle of our world, places of work that are faithless, where we are surrounded by people that are faithless, who are precious children who we need to reach with the gospel and I'm not in any way suggesting we become an exclusive community we need to be a community that brings the kingdom wherever we are that shines his light wherever we are that goes into the world and shares Jesus but in our own world in our own room if I can say it like that we need to be careful which voices are in the room because sometimes there can be a sound. There was a sound of wailing. And I get the impression Jesus said, get that sound out of this room because it does not belong here. I will not raise a girl from the dead with the sound of death ringing in my ears. And sometimes the enemy will want to bring the sound of death into your room. And we have to learn how to keep it at bay. We have to learn to recognize it. You know, I went to university I studied law my granddad had grown up in in Liverpool and his dad had been a docker the working class of the working class and he my granddad had heaved himself up and and, and a career-wise done better than his dad and, and had pulled himself out of his roots and my dad built on his dad's shoulders and was the first in the family to go to university. And, and when I went to university to study law and I was going to be a solicitor, my granddad was so proud and he was telling all of his friends. And when I told him I was going into ministry, he, he died an atheist. He was a faithless man. And I love my granddad as my granddad, but he was a faithless person. I once sent him a, a book to just share something about Jesus and he sent it back by return of post. And when he heard I was going into ministry, he said, you know, it's a spirit of poverty. You know, it's not the person speaking. And he said, clogs to clogs in four generations. Do you know what? I had a Gandalf moment. Thou shalt not pass. I, I refuse that confession over my life. That, that does not come from heaven. That comes from a spirit of poverty that would seek to confess something over my life of limitation that I will not accept. Get out of my room. I will not have that confession in my room. I wish he was alive today to hear that we'd just been to Florida as a family. And, and the Father in heaven paid the bill. I don't know what's speaking in your world. 
I don't know, some things may be being spoken over your life. Sometimes things can be said. Cruel comments in the playground, a throwaway comment, something by a, a parent in a moment's frustration and, and it tries to stay in your room. It's time to say, get out. I'm not having that in my room anymore. Because if we are gonna cultivate an environment of faith, we have to recognize there are some things that don't belong in our room. They don't belong in our room. And we have to make a decision. We have to understand what they are, articulate them and say, I'm not having that in my room anymore. You know, Jesus invited those in the room he wanted in the room. Peter, John and James, the child's parents, because Peter hadn't been DBS checked. You know, this is why I encourage the people of God, we've got to be around the people of God. We've got to prioritize being in life group each week, coming to church consistently. If you're a young person, come to Ignite. If you're a, over 60, come to Synergy. Why? Because many of us around our world, we're in places where there is little faith and we have to keep being with the people of faith. We have to get the right people in the room with us. And some of you maybe need to respond today. You know, Justin Welby, just as he was beginning his journey as the Archbishop of Canterbury, he had his very first press conference and it was at Lambeth Palace and, and all the press were there. And I don't know if any of you saw it, but it was an amazing situation. Well, all the press there, and he walks in the room and they're all going, Archbishop, 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 uh, Justin, uh, excuse me, like trying to get their channel in the news. And it's all like a normal chaotic press conference. And you know what Justin Welby says? He said this, let's be quiet for a moment and pray. And everyone's a bit shocked. They've never been in a press conference like this. And he said, come Holy Spirit to the hearts of your people and kindle in them the fire of your love. We've got to make a decision who's in the room. You know, I wonder if we can stand together. As we finish this service today, Mark and the band are going to lead us. We're going to sing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And I encourage us not just to sing the service out, but to respond and use this song as a vehicle to say, you are welcome here to throw open the doors of our hearts if we can and welcome Him afresh into our lives. But maybe you need to respond to the message. And if you do, while we sing, I'm gonna invite you. Maybe you need to push past some people in your row and come down the front. Maybe you need to change your posture from one that's held God at bay to one that opens the way for Him to be all that He is. Maybe you need to push past some things in your life and dare to believe God for a situation. Maybe you need to get some voices out of your room. You recognize I've spoken that there are some things you've allowed to be limiting words, like the sound of wailing in your room. And today Jesus comes and says, I wanna bring a resurrection to your room.